Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults, a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out. No house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Brutes. Pritchard. Pritchard. Well, you know. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Just watch Fluffy Ducks, my God. I am so excited to be recording with you today. We're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics. I love talking about WWF in 1989, and that's what we'll be talking Cold about here, today. Man. I'm going to find out this weekend because... Oh, it's going to be really cold, wet, and snowy this weekend. I already looked. I'm going Kinda to be... like Dave Silva's... Anyway. I'm going to be uh, all sweatered up this weekend. I'm going to make a rare Northeast appearance. Rare for me. But today... The day we're recording, it's a very special day in the history of your life. Bruce Pritchard, ladies and gentlemen, 60 years old. Happy birthday, Bruce. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to me. Is this your halfway point of your life, you think? You're going to go to 120? Shit, most people didn't think I'd make 28, much less 120. At your uh, at your level of celebrity and income and the advances in technology, I think you could do it. You could get to 120. 120, all right. I like it. Let's go for it. So this would be like kind of my midlife crisis time to kind of shake some things up. Well, let's keep the podcast. Let's keep Amber. Let's keep Stephanie. We can talk about Kane. Uh, but yeah, let's shake up some other things if you want. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a Dateline guy. You know, I watch a lot of Dateline. I watch a lot of 48 Hours, 2020, and things like that. So here's my here's my thing. Here's my theory. 
this is a simple ask, too. I thought it was a simple ask. Yeah, I just asked my wife, can you draft a letter stating that if anything were ever to happen to you, unusual circumstances that may result in your death, then right. it was definitely not me. Right. That'd be great. And, and or Amber. Because she'd probably, I need help. Um, no, it's just, what about Kane? I said, ah, yeah, he'll be all right. Kane will be. I mean, all that's right. a good thing. You should do that too. You should look into this. This is a, this is something I want. I want to maybe start a company that you know protects protects the spouse, particularly the husband. That you know, like a, a significant other can sign and say, "Yeah, no, man, my significant other would never do anything to me like this." Like put antifreeze in my coffee or anything like that. That was one I watched the other day. My goodness gracious. Well, we're starting off uh, a birthday episode pretty damn dark. Let's lighten the mood here. That's not dark. That's that's a. I'm giving advice. I'm giving life advice. It's, you know, I would say pro tips, but I'd probably be too much. But no, it's just life advice. You know, sometimes you got to think outside of the box. Everybody writes letters. If anything happens to me, it was Conrad. All right, wait a minute now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's calm down. <laughs> I, 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 no, I need you around. I, I, well, I, no, no. But if, if, just saying, could be you. I don't know about that. I don't even know your exact address. I know I should know it, but I'll find out. Yeah, I, you should know. I know your exact address. Well, you've, you've been here many times. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see your new place. I even not even knew now. South, I put in the southeast in there when I know your, oh, your thing. Oh, look at you, the directional. Ah, I love ah. that. Well, I shipped a lot of things to myself there. Yes, you have. Well, we know uh <laughs> we know what we're talking about today. Your sweatshirt tells the story. It's WrestleMania season, boys and girls. And this is one of our most requested topics. We have talked about the main event storyline ad nauseum here on the show because we both just love the nuanced storytelling. But we're going to talk about the whole show today from WrestleMania five in 1989. We just recently discussed the 89 Royal rumble just last month. So be sure to check that one out. That's sort of a, the prelude or prelude, if you will, to this show. But before we get into that, the idea of having WrestleMania at the same location, two years in a row, this was a, this was a big deal. I don't think we would see this in the more modern era. But back to back, we're in Atlantic City at the Trump Plaza. How did that come to be? It was profitable and it was close and the deal was the right deal. It wasn't, you know, where you were having to go out and rent a building or anything. This was the first time that we had, you know, another venue or a venue come to us and say, man, I want WrestleMania. I want WrestleMania in my venue. And here's what we're going to do for you to make it more attractive for you to come to Atlantic city and in particular Trump Plaza. So, uh, they made us a nice deal and we did it. We did it again for the second year in a row. It's, uh, maybe my favorite WrestleMania memory as a kid, this and six are two of my absolute favorites. And we get this season sort of kicked off. After the rumble, we start putting all their hype into the second live Friday night, prime time main event special on NBC, the main event. There you go. To explain this isn't Saturday night's main event, which we've been doing since I don't know, 85, but on the build to WrestleMania four the year before we did the whole evil twin referee thing, 
with Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan in primetime on NBC. So we're going to start really trying to double down and do that here again in 1989. Did you think just the creative and the intrigue in that matchup on the heels of WrestleMania threes were launching towards WrestleMania four with Hogan and Andre? Did you think there was any chance that an NBC special here in 89 could compete and touch that record breaking audience you had a year before? I thought that, that there was potential. I didn't think we would break that record because it was Hulk and Andre and that matchup was so unique and had such a special feel to it. However, being in prime time and having wrestling for the first time in so many years, you know, the, the year before we were live and it had been 50 years, whatever the hell it had been long time. And now to do it again, the second year in a row and go live on network television, that was a huge step. So you're thinking just the novelty of it alone, we were hoping would draw viewers to it. The attraction was not nearly as strong as Hulk and Andre, but it was still a, uh, an intriguing, um, an intriguing event that I think that people following the story of Hulk and Randy were intrigued to see what was going to happen next. I was pumped for this. It happened Friday, February 3rd, 1989 at the Bradley center in Milwaukee and the big headline main event here on NBC is going to be the mega powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage taking on the twin towers, the big boss man and Akeem. We already talked about that match back on our mega powers episode in the archives, but after slowly teasing it ever since WrestleMania four. The mega powers are finally going to explode. If you will, the match itself is over 22 minutes long, but it's really a backdrop for the impending soap opera type storyline. We're about to see, as we know, Savage is thrown through the ropes and he lands on miss Elizabeth and Hogan is going to carry her to the back the first aid room for medical attention. And Savage sees this going on as he's getting beat up in the ring. And he feels like he gets deserted by his partner. And we of course have the uh, famous moment where Hogan is by Liz's side on the gurney. And he's got these, uh, Oscar worthy acting skills, if you will, begging and pleading for Liz to wake up and, and be okay. And he's also asking someone off camera for the tis is I'm someone to give me a countdown brother, because he thinks they're still in a commercial. But this is all, of course, shown live on the air and Vince on commentary is going to try to quickly start talking to try to cover it up. Are you pulling your hair out when all this is happening? Is this the stress and pressure of live TV in prime time? Yeah, this is. Yes. First of all, it's live television. Absolutely nothing can go wrong ever. It was meant to be. Live TV. It was meant to be, damn it. But when you're watching this and you have people Look, the NBC folks came in and the NBC folks came in for a post-produced show for Saturday night's main event. Excellent at what they did. Excellent at post-production. Excellent at putting uh, shows together. I learned an awful lot from them. Also very good at live, but they weren't good at live sports entertainment. So what they thought they knew, they would forget because they just assume, I don't know, man, but it, it was a... It was not the greatest 
because you know on top of not keeping hulk informed of hey man you know we're coming back from commercial in so many seconds and and be working you know you had uh, sending beefcake in too soon to, <laughs> to go in and get savage off of hulk and then well i know what we'll do we'll just take his shirt off of him so you'll forget about that guy that was in a shirt five seconds ago um so yeah, it was I believe this was in Milwaukee. Yep. And I had done a Rougeau match, uh Rougeau versus the Hearts as a special referee. <coughs> I'm gonna apologize now because I got a cough. And uh it's eating me up right now. But uh I had already worked, but I'm still in my brother love stuff and I'm running around with a headset, you know, still in brother love gear. And I remember as they came around the corner to, to shoot Hulk, there I am at the end of the hall with my headset on and everything. And uh, about had a conniption fit because they were shooting down the hall and you can't see brother love with a headset. Oh my God. Um, It was just uh, a little crazy, but this had to be, I, I think even looking at all the live television we've done since then, possibly one of the sloppiest live productions that we ever did. Hmm. Well, we just let too, too many other people be involved. There you go. Eventually Liz does wake up and she Thank tells her, God. Oh my God. I was afraid she was still asleep and that Hulk was still there. I was, it was touch and go, you know? Yeah, it was. Well, she tells Hogan, go back out there and help Randy. So Hulk does just that. But instead of getting a tag into the match from Savage, He's met with a huge slap to the face and Savage jumps out and he goes to the back to see Elizabeth himself. Of yeah. course, eventually Hulk Hogan does what he does and he wins the match, but then he goes back to the first aid room to a pissed off Savage berating Liz. Savage immediately tells Hogan he's out of line and he's got jealous eyes and he sees the lust in his eyes for Miss Elizabeth. Savage is also saying that Hogan is jealous of him because he's the champion. And if he would dare to come to him man to man for the belt, that would be okay. I would beat you one, two, three. And we've discussed this whole scenario in length. So listen, I know we don't necessarily talk about current stuff, but it's hard not to see some parallels with modern storylines. Like when a storyline works. It's one that you can probably apply in different places and different times and different universes. And the story will still work because it's a great story, right? I believe that whenever you're able to drop nuggets along the way that you can then go back and refer to, that is the beauty of a great storyline. When we had SummerSlam, we had Survivor Series, we had the Rumble, we had the main event, and they were all little nuggets of different things that you could see through both sides. Uh, There's a great show on Showtime. It's called The Affair. And it takes the point of view of both the man uh, having the affair who's married and is having an affair and the woman who is also married and she's having an affair with this guy. But you see it through his eyes and it's one way. You see it through her eyes and it's completely different. That's what was so beautiful about this story. Exact same scene seen through Randy's eyes, it was, he had lust in his eyes. This guy was really worried about my title, but he was in love with Miss Elizabeth. Can you believe that? Yeah. You had lust in your eye. Uh-huh. 
You never wanted to be friends. You never wanted to be partners. You just wanted Elizabeth. Hogan on the other side, look, brother, we're such good friends, brother, that I was worried about her, man. We became friends, man. We were the mega powers, brother. And you could see it through both, both sets of eyes. And both had a point. Both made sense. So there was no real good guy or bad guy. There was just difference of opinion that happens every single day when you don't get the full story, if you will. And that was the beauty of this story. It, it just little things happened all along and it built up and built up and built up until Randy finally exploded. And Hulk could look at it from an innocent point of view, like brother, I, I was doing it for us. You were doing it with lust in your eye, brother. Yeah. So that was the beauty of this whole story. It, it, it happens with people. It happens with friends every day. This Mother's Day and Father's Day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law, all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for Mother's Day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand-painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with paintyourlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hogan turns to Liz to try to ask her to talk some sense into Randy, but then Savage hits Hogan in the head with the title belt. He's going to drop some punches on Hulk while he's down on the floor. Liz eventually gets up off the gurney to try to check on Hogan and Savage yells at her to get out of the way or he'll splatter her with the belt. That's right. He grabs her. Back when things are done right. Like when Dave Silva, anyway, we were talking about that earlier about what he did yesterday, but go ahead. Well, well there's paperwork involved. Uh, he's going to grab her here, shove her down to the floor and Brutus beefcake and some of the agents, Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin and Nick Bockwinkle. They all come in and Savage leaves and the show goes off the air with Hogan searching the backstage area, screaming for Randy, shoving around the heart foundation and the rockers and the process. And this live special on NBC on Friday night in prime time does an 11.6 Nielsen rating. We had 19.9 million viewers watch it. It's unbelievable. And just in a vacuum, you would think, well, could we have bigger success, but it is a little down from the prior year, 33 million watched it a year prior, but still 19.9 million, man, this is rare air for wrestling or content of any sort. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. In fact, it's the lowest rated of the night on NBC and one of the lowest for the season in the 8 PM Friday night time slot on NBC. So I'm sure that NBC may have been a little disappointed, but compared to the ratings you guys could get through syndication or USA, et cetera, et cetera, there's really no comparison to broadcast. And I know that television and media have all changed, but man, here in the eighties, being on broadcast TV, there was nothing comparable to that, right? No, it was, everybody had it. So you had you had your three later on four, you know major stations five when you count PBS and, and a lot of people that's all they had, e- even even going into you know 1989, that a lot of people still didn't have cable right penetration wasn't wasn't what it is now where you just sign up for cable everybody's got it, um, so that was their main source of entertainment was the broadcast television. And people still looked at broadcasts as, you know, that's where all the, the good stuff happens type thing. So 19 million households to be able to watch that was a big deal, regardless of, of where it fell in the ratings or anything like that. That was still a success. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how this is going to be different. Usually Hulk Hogan has been the champion. It's been a babyface territory, as they like to say. He's fending off these mean, evil, giant, heel, nasty giants, whatever. But now it's a little different because now we've got Hulk Hogan chasing. So, on our way to this, of course, we're going to do a series of promos from both Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. The Macho Man is going to build his case, and they're very cleverly done. As you've pointed out, you're going to see those little nuggets. We're going to tease what happened at SummerSlam, or maybe Hulk was getting a little too touchy feely with Liz. We're going to have isolated video from survivor series of maybe once again, Hogan getting a little too touchy feely with Liz. 
Hogan's going to respond to that and add context and say, basically, Hey, I was your friend. You're blowing this out of proportion, but it's unique that we see someone questioning the character and integrity of Hulk Hogan. And it's even more unique that Hulk's not just fending off everybody to defend his title. He's the guy chasing. Did you enjoy this style of booking and creative and, and build and process more so than a babyface champ? Um, it, it depends. Uh, I think that that's how I was, that's how I was brought up was you always had the heel champion and you always were grooming the baby face to face the heel champion. Right. So for me, it was kind of second nature, but then I had kind of gotten used to the Hogan stuff and it's just, it's a difference in psychology, but the, the beauty of this was I was able to, we shot all their promos for the entire promotion in one day. And being able to, if you want to go back and say, when was the first time, you know, you really started scripting and writing out promos, this may be the best example, Mm. at least from my point of view, because I had every single one written out, not verbatim of what they were going to say, but of every point to hit in each one of these, Randy's side of it, Hulk's side of it. Randy's side of it, Hulk's side of it, and be able to tell that all the way through and then be able to go back and show the footage to reinforce it. And sometimes we had the reversal. We had the reverse ISO that showed the shot from a different angle. So that you see what Randy sees, but then you see from the other side what actually happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, Hulk didn't, Hulk didn't grab her ass. No, man, he picked her up underneath her legs. Everything was good. But from Randy's perspective, it looks like, hey, man, he's going in. That son of a bitch. And I think that uh, those were just so important, but I literally had the whole thing laid out for them. I think it was either four or six weeks worth of promos that we did in one day. And so we, uh, Randy would do his Hulk would do his and answer it right away. So that it was fresh in their head, you know, so they didn't have to go back and watch them. They, they sat there and listened to each other and responded immediately. Randy came up with something new on his own. You need to hit that. And, uh, they both were so good. And that was some of the best, best stuff, best build because people could now go back and go, I remember that, but I didn't see it that way. Oh, shit. Look, they've got a shot from behind where Hulk has his hand on her butt. But then from the side, does he? So it, it made you it made you ask questions and it made you have to look at it uh, from both sides, which was that's great when people can do that. So you had those ISO shots ready to show them as you're shooting this. Yes. And oh yeah, we had everything ready for them. So they could actually see what they're going to be talking about and what the final product would look like. And exactly. I know. Yeah, that- and, and where Hulk could say, well, hang on, brother, you know, take a look at it. You know, there's another angle of this, you know, yes. and, and, and have his Randy wouldn't see that. Right. Randy doesn't care what Hulk's angle is. Yes. I saw what I saw, and I saw lust in your eyes. The lust in your eyes went to your hand that grabbed your ass, uh-huh. 
So talk to me a little bit about how these are produced. I mean, you said that they're in the same room doing them back to back. Who else is in the room? Did you have a favorite cameraman you like to do these with? No, we did these at the studio. These, okay. these were all, these are all done at the studio. Um, we did it. Yeah. I couldn't tell you who the hell Bubba Dean was my favorite cameraman back in the day, but no, he had nothing to do with these. These were just all locked down, shot in the studio, uh, on two sets and done through master control. So it's, it's you, it's Vince, it's Hogan and Savage. I don't think Vince was there. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, you said this is really the first time there were quote unquote scripted promos, not necessarily that it's word for word, but you're really hitting the bullet points. We know that Savage was pretty meticulous on his planning and preparation. How was Hogan with this? He was great. Yeah. Yeah. They were great. I mean, they look, we had lived the story, right? We lived the story, knowing we were getting to the explosion, knowing we were going to this match. So to be able to go back and throw in, throw in things and not, you know, not rush it and do too much at one time that you can do one thing and you can get a glance, you can get a look, or you can get something that you can call back on later. Um, was where people go, Oh my God, you know, I forgot that. Or I just didn't see that at the time. And you have to look through it, you know, through the performer's lens. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, Savage turning heel here. We, we see the, the angle shot on NBC. He's going to have full blown heel promos against Hogan. He's going to continue to work house shows and a bit of a tweener role, largely working with bad news Brown into March, but this is very much the era where it's not guaranteed contracts. You're getting licensing deals and merchandising deals, and you're being paid on the house, et cetera, et cetera. But that also means that Randy Savage, who's now been a tag team partner with Hulk Hogan, he was probably getting some pretty fat merch checks. And now as a bad guy, well, bad guys don't sell merch as much, especially in that era. I realize the business has changed, but. Would that have been a concern to Randy or was he so excited about the creative and he could sink his teeth into it? You know, our friend JR always says it comes down to two C's cash and creative. Was he so excited to do the creative that the cash was secondary or was that a concern that, Hey man, if I'm a bad guy, my money's going down. I don't think Randy looked at it like that. And plus there was also depending upon, you know, okay. If you're a heel or baby face, whatever the hell it is, uh, a lot of times if a heel, a heel is just as important to the baby face yes. uh, without a great heel. So a lot of times they were compensated in other ways. May not have been, you know, as much merchandise sales, but they may be compensated in other ways. And so that was never really a big issue. I think there were guys that would look at, well, if I was baby face, I was selling Hulk Hogan merchandise that much. I'd be making this much more. Well, you're not Hulk Hogan. You aren't selling that much merchandise and you're not going to make that much more. So, <laughs> you know, there's only, there was only one Hulk and it's, there's always going to be talent. There's always going to be guys that are great merch sellers that, that can, you know, go out and make all of that happen. And then there's guys that can't. Right. So that's just the reality of the business. It, it, that is what it is. Well, I'm glad Savage was able to keep an open mind and see things from a different perspective. And let me just say, there's no quick fix for anxiety or depression. 
And it's not finding a new therapist or starting a new exercise routine. It's not more or regular medication or even a better diet. Sometimes you need to, you need something to unlock your brain. You need to see a, a new way of thinking about and seeing the world. And maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy from Mindbloom. There's a new tool to improve your mental health at home ketamine therapy. Mindbloom is the leader in at home ketamine therapy, having safely helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. And unlike traditional talk therapy, ketamine works quickly and doesn't have the unpleasant side effects of traditional antidepressants. In a study of over 1200 Mindbloom clients, 89% reported improvements in their anxiety and depression after only two sessions. And right now, Mindbloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com wrestle and use the promo code wrestle. So take the first step and break free from your anxiety and depression with Mindbloom. That's mindbloom.com wrestle. And be sure to use the promo code wrestle. So Bruce, the WWF has had its final televised house show from the Philadelphia spectrum on February 11th, 1989. That would end a 12 year run of all these Philly house shows airing on the prism network. It went back to 1977. Uh, the show only has 10,000 people in the building with Hogan versus boss man as the main event. It was normally selling out everywhere else. Do you think you guys stopped? airing these because of the declining attendance numbers at the spectrum and the fans knew, well, I don't have to go. I could just watch it on TV or was there something else? No, it was a bad deal. It was a deal that had been done a long time ago with Philadelphia, very similar to Nesson and Boston and Madison square garden network in that you had, you know, the, the spectrum stuff that was owned by them and they could then take your footage and air it wherever they wanted to, whenever they wanted to. So getting out of that deal gave the company more control and ownership of their footage. Simple as that. In February of 89, JJ Dillon is going to leave the NWA, or I guess now it's Ted Turner's WCW and join the WWF. And around this, uh, same period of time, he's going to become the vice president of talent relations. What do you remember about JJ coming in and does this involve you in any way? No, JJ was brought in to uh, help with the booking with Pat Patterson events. And JJ was kind of brought in, in a, um, I don't want to say secretarial role because that's not what it was, but it was more of an organizational, more of an operations role. Uh, JJ extremely detail oriented, very good at <clears throat> keeping the books and, and, you know, keeping up with the details of things and uh, of that sort. So having JJ come in, came in uh, highly recommended, and that was needed on that side, you know, to help Pat just kind of organize things and make sure that everything got disseminated out into the rest of the folks in the office. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tony Schiavone is also going to leave WCW to join the WWF the same month, and he makes his first appearance doing voiceovers for the matches on February 20th, 1989. This is a special edition of Primetime Wrestling, which is billed as a three-hour face-to-face special. What do you think of our boy Tony Schiavone coming in here to the World Wrestling Federation, Bruce? I was happy to have Tony uh, part of the team, and Tony, I thought was good play-by-play. And in addition to that, what Tony brought to the table was a or the ability to also produce and to help produce uh, whether it was vignettes for us or segments. But he eventually took over Coliseum Video and the production of those. So having Tony on board, that was a, a big help because he served a lot of roles. It's uh, it's fun to see him here in the WWF, but it does feel a little looks different. Like, he looks like Tony's kid. He does. You know, young little pup and everything without the, you know, the gigantic uh, fake earring, fake diamond in his ear and things like that. That middle of the mall shit. Yeah, the pubic zirconia that he wears in his ear. I'm sorry, did you call it a pubic zirconia? Yes, my good, close, dear personal friend, uh, Irv Marks from IW Marks Jewelers in Houston, who's since passed, but his son Brad still runs the store. Uh, Irv always used to, <laughs> used to go, he goes, well, if you want a pubic zirconia, I can send you down to Alameda Mall and you can get one of those. But uh, if you like quality diamond, then you're going to pay for it. I love that. Uh, let's talk about Tony for a minute here. How did, uh, how did guys like gorilla and Bobby and I mean, how did they welcome Tony? Do you think they viewed him and his mere presence as some sort of a threat for their gig or was it just peas and carrots right away? Man, you know, as much television that we were doing at the time between, you know, again, Boston, Philadelphia, MSG, uh, prime time and, and just all of the work that we were doing for our cable properties, our international properties, the addition of another hand to help out in that was very welcome. And I don't think that Tony was met with uh, anything other than open arms, really and truly. I, I know that, that Bobby enjoyed working with him and uh, Gorilla enjoyed working with him. Let's mention that this three-hour face-to-face special on primetime is going head to head with the NWA shy town rumble pay-per-view at the USC. Why are they putting their shit up against uh, primetime? I love you for that. You just decided randomly to run a special on this day and they counter programmed it with a pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. That's just bullshit. Uh, well, it seems that, um, as usual, we're doing all we can to uh, counteract their show. And two days before, The WWF has a loaded up house show at the nearby and much bigger Rosemont horizon with Hogan and boss man in a steel cage and Randy Savage and bad news Brown in a WWE title match, which was uh, even a street fight. And you guys draw a sellout crowd of 19,000 folks in the same market, just two days prior to their pay-per-view. 
I love that the WWF and Vince McMahon love to compete. This is fun stuff, man. It is competition. Of course, two days later, we know they had a fantastic match that people are still talking about Flair and Steamboat for the title at this much smaller UIC pavilion. They didn't sell it out, even though it was a smaller building, but it was a fantastic match. Steamboat wins the NWA title. But meanwhile, you guys are running a show at Madison square garden and it's being shown live on the MSG network where we put Randy Savage against the ultimate warrior. Just to remind everybody, that means it's your world champion versus your intercontinental champion. We want to make sure that folks in New York know, yeah, you could watch that pay-per-view if you'd like, but this is free and it's the world champ versus the IC champ. Don't you like the ultimate warrior? Don't you like macho man? This is the good old days of the war between the WWF. Oh and my the God. WWF. Madison square garden wasn't a pimple on an ass ass. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. As far, as far as their, their distribution compared to the rest of the country, it was regional. Oh, I know that. Madison square garden network wasn't, you know, other New York and. Oh yeah. But it's, that's a tiny town. Areas. Yeah. Just, I mean, who cares about New York, right? You don't, I mean, gosh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Texas. At this point, did you already know? Do you think that they were going to run Clash of the Champions against you at WrestleMania, or not yet? I I don't really recall. I have no idea. Well, let's talk about this primetime face to face show. It's built around hyping up most of the WrestleMania Five card. We've got uh, live arena podium interviews that we're recording in Binghamton, New York, at the TV tapings. Vince is moderating all of these and he's firing questions back and forth, uh, with the likes of demolition and the powers of paint with Mr. Fuji. We've also got, look at those shoes, by the way, check out those shoes that Vince is wearing. He's like a TV, weather, shoes. TV weatherman. Right He's there. ahead of his time. He so all, all everybody's doing that now. Yeah. Not, it's not just for weathermen anymore. It's for everybody. Oh dude. We all, we all wore suits and tennis shoes. Uh, the story Just running around as you did at TV, man, you had to be comfortable. The story of, uh, Fuji turning on demolition to side with powers of pain. Uh, how did you guys decide? Okay. Now it's time to make demolition a baby face. And we know how to do that. Just put Fuji with the other team. Everybody hates Fuji, right? Sure. Do you think fans just wanted to cheer demolition? Cause it was such a cool look and cool gimmick. Yeah. We were fighting the tide on that one because people people had been cheering demolition for a while might as well. Okay. Make the full turn and give it to them. The only reason that they wouldn't cheer demolition was probably because of Mr. Fuji. So move Fuji to the other side. And also it was going to help, uh, the powers of pain because they were not the best on the mics. Right. Not that Fuji was, but still. Yeah. Gave him a little, a little more color. Yes. Well, we're, we're going to need a little more color for King Haku with Bobby Heenan taking on Hercules. They too are going to have these podium debates at this TV taping with Vince as the moderator. And of course the backstory is Hercules and, and Bobby Heenan, but still Hercules is a baby face. I don't know. Did it ever really work? I kind of preferred Hercules as a bad guy. Yeah. You know, the issue becomes a lot of times we've discussed many times the person behind the character they're not always the same, same person. And Hercules, uh, Ray Fernandez was a sweetheart of a guy loved by everyone. Um, very gentle, very kind, and just a great human being that you would want to be able to put that on display 
and allow him to project that. I don't know that Ray Fernandez could project that as a baby face in front of the camera. Big jacked up guy that was, you know, Hercules, Hercules. Um, it just, you know, I, I don't think that he could ever really portray a baby face too well. They liked him, but they didn't love him. Right. So it was a difficult transition. Well, with Stud back in the fold, uh, after winning the rumble, we've got him as the special guest referee of a match that's going to take place at WrestleMania between Jake, the snake and Andre, the giant. So what a look this is. If you're watching over on YouTube, you got Vince and stud in the middle, Andre and Heenan to the left and Jake, the snake on the right. Uh, of course we know that there's a, a lot that's been said about Andre's fear of snakes and how Jake just hated working with him. He would stand on his hair and all this other stuff. And I guess Andre didn't really care for big John stud either, but I assume the, the thinking and putting stud here is we'll hold off on Andre and stud until later in the year. Is that pretty much it? That was the idea was to be able to get to Andre and stud after the Jake program. So you get to WrestleMania with stud is the referee and then spin out of that into your uh, Andre, Andre Stud one-on-ones. Next up, we've got Dino Bravo. And in case you're not sure, he's the bad guy. Frenchie Martin's here to make sure of that. And he's going to ah, take it on. Tabernacle. Taking on Ron Garvin. We don't talk enough about Frenchie Martin. Uh, besides, uh, well, once upon a time, he knew things about, well, airplane bathrooms, little pro tips. Anything else you can share with us about Frenchie? Uh, just one of my favorite people to be able to hang out with. I learned a lot from him just about the business and psychology. Uh, I never, so by the time that I got to WWE, Frenchie had stopped working. So he, he had worked for many years as Rick Martell's brother or something, worked a lot in Puerto Rico and, uh, did a lot of the hardcore matches and things there, barbed wire stuff and got a lot of color, but he was a, he was a colorful human being in general would, uh, go through the security or get his bag at, at baggage claim and his bag would pop open and the dildos and vibrators and everything would go fine. Oh my God. Hey, excuse me, madame. It's yours. Hey, you know, hey. Oh, sorry about that. You know, do shit like that at baggage claim. Just entertain the boys. So, uh, great guy, fun-loving guy, and um, man, I, I again, I, I do miss him. I had fun with Frenchie. I um, I, I want to ask you about Ron Garvin too. I mean, he's not too far removed from uh, working with Ric Flair and being the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Now he's here working a program with Dino Bravo. He's been around the the territories for a long time. What, what was your impression of Ron Garvin? And why don't you think he had a bigger run with the company? Well, you know, I, I think for the same reason that, that Ron didn't have a bigger run as NWA champion, it wasn't a whole lot to relate to. And Ronnie with his French Canadian accent was sometimes very difficult to understand. Um, personally, you know, Ron Garvin, kind of like Hercules, man. He's this great, I mean, hilarious guy, loved by everyone. Great guy, incredible talent. Wasn't anything you couldn't do in the ring, but there was just something lacking, that that it factor, that 
that larger than life factor. Um, did people believe that he was, you know, the toughest guy in the ring? Yeah, you did. You know why? Cause he was, so he could portray that. But I think that where he was lacking was being able to talk someone in to the building. Um, they believed everything he did was real because it pretty much was. Uh, Ron was a God. He was a, a snug, very realistic talent. Um, but I think that, you know, sometimes the, the pushes and everything would be because of the human being who was this great guy. You could depend on him. He was always on time. Um, good for the locker room. Just, you know, good guy to be around. <coughs> I just don't know if he was ever going to be that top guy in that top draw. Let's, uh, let's talk about the next match. We've got, uh, the women's champion rock and Robin. She's going to be taking on sensational Sherry. And they're actually going to discuss which corner miss Elizabeth is going to be in for the Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage match at, at this point. Did you know that you were going to put Sherry with Savage? That certainly seems like the plan. I believe so. How was she with that? How was he with that? Well, she was great with it, and he was even better. I think that the excitement of being able to work with Sherry. Sherry was one of the best, if not the best of all time, as far as female performers. She could do it all. She could work. She could talk. Um, Man, she was great as a manager. She was great as a worker and would add, would enhance anything that she was added to. Let's, um, let's ask, why do you think this match between rock and Robin and sensational Sherry didn't take place at WrestleMania? Clearly it was once in the cards, but now not so much. I have no idea. No, there you go. Hey, I'm good with that. I mean, occasionally stuff gets cut for Tom. Who knows? Uh, next up we got the rooster. That's right. The red rooster. (laughs) He's going to be taking on are doing a little podium talk here with Bobby Heenan and the Brooklyn brawler. And, uh, <laughs> I found this in my research shortly after Terry Taylor joined the WWF in summer slam summer of 98. Let me start that again. Shortly after Terry Taylor joined the WWF in the summer of 88, he was packing says the red rooster and paired with Heenan as his manager, given a novice wrestler gimmick, someone who could not navigate his way throughout, throughout matches. Without constant instruction from Heenan, eventually the Red Rooster grew tired of Heenan's demeaning style of coaching and turned against him, becoming a face. Shortly thereafter, on an episode of Primetime Wrestling, Heenan claimed to want to break off their relationship amicably, but it was a ruse to set Rooster up to be ambushed by Heenan's new protege, longtime enhancement talent, Steve Lombardi, who had just been reinvented as the Brooklyn Brawler. Boy, that's a, a nice way to sum this up, I suppose, but... A novice wrestler gimmick. I don't know about that. Is that the way you would describe the original version of this character with Bobby Heenan? It was going to be a rooster. I mean, we, I don't know how many times we have to discuss the red rooster. Right. You know, it was, it was a guy that was brought in to do a gimmick that didn't want to do the gimmick. So the gimmick flopped and, uh, moved on. A novice wrestler though. That just tickled me. Like. I don't know about that. Uh, next up, we got the Bushwhackers. And well, again, but it's story. Yes. 
It's story. So all the people that are getting hot about it, guess what? You were supposed to get hot about it. Well, let's talk about the Bushwhackers and the Rougeos. They got Jimmy Hart with them. Uh, this is also on WrestleMania. Bruce, how many matches does a WrestleMania need? Is this one of the God damn three? I mean, in this era, it does feel like even the way you would do the old school poster promotions when you would sort of paper a town or flyer a town or whatever you want to call it. And all the, you know, stores and, and telephone poles, and they'd have these posters up. It would list a ton of matches. And then sometimes it would say, you know, at the top or the bottom, nine big matches, 10 big matches, you know, whatever was the thinking here. Let's try to get as many people on this card and make it an extravaganza and get them a payday. Is it more about trying to get the guys a payday or is it more about let's overwhelm them with value? And there's a ton of talent and a ton of stars. I believe that there was a feeling in the past of just trying to make this the biggest card of the year, whether that was number of matches, uh, the special eventness of it. I think that sometimes, most times, more is not more. More is not better. More is just more. And for an audience to keep their attention, and especially I will go back to uh, both WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5, went on forever. And the audience, first of all, was casino audience. So not all of them were as engaged as the diehard fans who would purchase a ticket to, to be there because they really loved and they were educated about the event. But also, um, it just tires people out. By the time you get to the match you may want to see, if it's later on in the evening, it's like, God, man, I'm, I'm tired out from everything else. Versus having six or seven matches that you can focus on and be excited about them and be able to participate in them and not be totally exhausted before the last match gets in the ring. Let's mention that, uh, we've also got a match that we're going to talk about because it's a big one, especially for little warrior fans like myself, the intercontinental champion, the ultimate warrior is going to be taken on Rick rude. And in his corner is Bobby Heenan. Of course, at this point, maybe you've noticed a theme. Was this just almost a mandate? If you're a heel in the WWF in 1989, you've got to have a manager. Probably. Uh, it usually helped. It, it immediately established you as a, <clears throat> as a heel. So that was just, that was just the way the business was at that time. Just to recap, demolition is going to take on powers of pain with Mr. Fuji. Hercules is going to take on King Haku with Bobby Heenan. Jake Roberts will take on Andre the Giant with Bobby Heenan. Ryan Garvin will take on Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin. The Red Rooster will take on Bobby Heenan with the Brooklyn Brawler. Uh, the Bushwhackers will take on the Rougeos with Jimmy Hart. The Warrior will take on Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan. And of course, we all know in the main event, uh, we get Hulk Hogan, and it's supposed to be a face off with him and Randy Savage at the podium, but Randy is a no show for the interview. This is good stuff. What storytelling piece were you trying to use that Randy doesn't even show up for the debate? Cause Randy can't look at that man in the eye with the lust in his eyes and not be able to control himself. There you go. It's that simple. We will wait until it's time. Uh huh. Yeah. How do you 
record all of these in front of, at a TV taping in front of the same crowd where I know you're probably filming just hours of matches. It's gotta be hard to keep that energy up for one interview after another like this, or is it not? Are you doing it at an early time in the show? And that's the secret you keep them hot or what's the thinking? You do it in between matches. Okay. It's pretty simple. So how it airs isn't always how it's recorded. There you go. Well, let's talk about what happens with this rooster Heenan feud going into WrestleMania five. We already sort um, of said that <laughs> you don't like that. Is it's just there. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It's just there. It's just, well, he's on primetime wrestling as a guest. He being Terry Taylor pronouns, pal. And we've got gorilla sat in between uh, rooster and Bobby Heenan. And they're going to try to settle their differences after they had split up on Saturday night's main event, nine days earlier. Of course, here is the new, the new character, the debut of the Brooklyn brawler. Is this uh, where, is this the same sitting or taping or what have you, where you remember seeing Bobby saying to the brawler, you got to go get dirty. No, that was at a that was at a TV taping. Uh, Brawler's also going to hit Gorilla with a stool in all of this, so I guess Gorilla's going to wind up taking his first bump since like 1983, and that leaves Hena to do the rest of the show alone. I bring this up because this is a this is a pretty big time angle for a match like this. I mean, by all account, this is a quote unquote undercard match, but when it's happening on prime time and you're taking out one of the hosts, that's a big deal, no? Yeah, unfortunately it was. I don't think that, that this angle warranted that. The fact that Bobby was involved probably warranted that. Um, but, you know, we tried it. We did it. And I, I don't think that it necessarily worked out. You know, Brawler was here for years. He was perennial um, enhancement talent that was uh, – was on the show for, for many years is that gimmick, but I don't think that anybody, you know, people at the end of his run, I think that it was kind of like almost, uh, you know, an endearing figure. Oh, Hey, there's a brawler. Do you almost feel sorry for him a little bit? But, um, you know, th- this, this match is just what it was. It wasn't, um, it, it certainly wasn't looked upon as, is you know, going to draw the house for WrestleMania or, or that anyone in your group is going, boy, I'm going to see the Brooklyn Brawler versus the Red Rooster. Got to see how this thing shakes out. It was part of the card. Let's talk about uh, February 16th. Saturday night's main event is taped at the good old Hershey Park Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania for a March 11th airing. This is going to be the third Saturday night's main event that goes down in Hershey. And at this point, we've only had 20 of these shows in total. Why was Hershey a prime time location for taping TV, particularly Saturday night's main event? Why did you keep going back there? Beautiful building, beautiful building for television because of the way it was shaped. It was a hockey arena, but all of the uh, seats on the side, it went straight up. So no matter where you shot, you were shooting people. Every single background of every single shot had an audience in it. And the way that that building was shaped, it's just made for great television. The key match on this show, this edition of Saturday night's main event is Hulk Hogan taking on bad news Brown. And he's got Elizabeth in his corner here. We would also see a backstage interview with Mean Gene talking to Liz to find out whose corner she's going to be in when the mega powers explode at WrestleMania five. 
And after Elizabeth said she would not be in Hogan's corner, Savage shows up gloating that she's going to be in his corner. And Okerlund finally tries to confirm that with Liz. And she says, Nope, I'm not in Randy's corner either. Savage grabs Liz by the chin. Hogan appears and says he has too much respect for his manager to take Savage's head off right now, but he's going to take his head off at WrestleMania and claim his title back. So listen, let's talk about bad news. Brown here. He's uh, in a primetime spot working with Hulk Hogan, but we know at times based on reading some of the interviews and watching some of his shoot interviews, wasn't always keen on losing, but did anybody have issues putting a Hulk over? I mean, that feels like that's just part of the business here. No, I don't look, man. I don't think that when Alan was in WWE, I cannot recall him ever balking about winning or losing. Uh, Alan was a businessman and was willing to do whatever he needed to do to support his family. I, again, I can't ever remember him balking one time, at least to me or that I ever heard of. There's some TV tapings that happened in El Paso on March 7th and we get John. My birthday. How about that? Yeah. And the place where I was born too. How about that? Out yeah. in the West Texas town of El Paso. CB Bruce Pritchard was born with a small lasso. Uh, John Tenta makes his WWF debut working as a baby face and tryout match. He goes to a draw versus Mr. Perfect. Is this your first time seeing John Tenta in person? what did you think of him? What did Vince think of him? It was big bastard. Oh my God. You know, a mountain of a man, the biggest drawback of John was he was very, very mild mannered and, and had a, had a voice, you know, just, you know, kind of down here. No one was really sure if John was capable of cutting a promo. So there was the, okay, man. Uh, yeah, you're a big guy. You're impressive. You can move well for a big man and you've got great credentials, but can you express that? Right. And I went into the locker room and I asked John, I said, Hey man, can you talk? And he stood up and cut a promo on me. And I was like, yeah, you can talk pretty good. Thank you, man. Talk. And I went back and said, he can cut a promo. Talk to me a little bit about this date. It's a television taping. As we said, we're in El Paso. So you're not far from your, I mean, this is your birth town, but this date, March 7th, 1989, where John Tent is making his debut is also the day that sadly Paul Bosch would pass away. Yep. And this is also your birthday. So here you are at a TV taping in El Paso and it's your birthday in the town you were born in. And you find out that your first mentor in this industry that you love passes away the same day. Do you find out that day at the TV taping? I did. Yeah. Is that, I mean, that's sure like did. the worst possible birthday news right there. Is it not? It was devastating. You know, it, it was uh, bittersweet as though our relationship, you know, was um, fractured at the end, fractured at the end. Good way to say it. And um, still, it's like losing, it's like losing a loved one. It's like losing one of your parents. And, and this, here's the mentor. Here's the guy that brought me into the business that was, so influential in everything that I did in the business, gave me my start and he's gone and he's gone without getting to say goodbye or 
anything of that nature. So it, it, it hit me pretty hard because I don't think you're ever prepared for um, the loss of someone like that. So when, uh, when this came, it was completely unexpected. It was very quick. So there was no, there was no time to prepare. Right. And yeah, kind of a shitty day. In this era, I'm not trying to pick. I'm just trying to learn in this era. There's no email. There's no internet. There's no social media. And most folks in 89 don't have cell phones and the few who do, it's usually in their car and maybe a handful of people have pagers, but even that's a few years away from becoming super widespread. How do you get this news? I mean, we always joke telephone, telegram, tell a wrestler, but before the internet helped bring us all together and technology really advanced, you're at a television taping. You're not at home. How do how does that news reach you at a TV taping in El Paso? Well, this particular news reached through Nick Bockwinkle, who I believe Valerie or whoever called Nick's home, told Nick's family, who then told Nick, who then told us. Oh man. Well, I, uh, I'll be honest. I don't know that I ever put together but, that Paul you know, passed it, away it's, on it's, your birthday. It is funny that, that when you think about it, you know, you, you talk about information and, um, getting word to people. It, it was folks had jobs, folks had phone numbers where they worked and they had loved ones that, either, you know, stayed at home and, and could get that information. So believe it or not, I, was it instantaneous? No, but where you would send a text today, you would have made a call then. Right. And you could have left a message on somebody's recorder or talked to someone and, and pretty quickly that word got out. I mean, not as quickly as it does now, but still pretty quickly and sometimes accurate, sometimes not. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. There's a house show in Denver on March 19th, and there's an 11 minute brother love show segment featuring Roddy Piper, where Piper is going to wind up slapping around and hip tossing you to end the segment. And this is Piper's first appearance in the WWF in two years following WrestleMania three. This is a nice way to introduce him again and get you ready for what's going to happen at WrestleMania five. This is uh, one of the first times you would have worked with Roddy, right? This was the first time I officially met Roddy. Yeah. 
Now, I'd, I'd spoken to Robbie on the phone, but Vince was adamant that we work together before we go do our deal at WrestleMania. So, you know, everybody had been comparing the Brother Love show to Piper's Pit. And, of course, Roddy was someone that I emulated and that I respected a lot. And I tried to emulate as best I could with the Brother Love show and Brother Love himself. So for me, it was a big thrill personally to be able to work with Roddy. And, you know, Vince was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to do a Brother Love show. We had a lot of different guests in mind. Uh, so I'm sorry about that, Bruce, but, uh, you know, I think I'm going to, think I'm going to do a Piper's Pit. I think I'm going to do a Piper's Pit with, uh, Morton Downey Jr., who Morton Downey Jr. was a talk show host that was, you know, the biggest thing on television as far as cable. He was the most. He was oh biggest. my god! He was he was shock you know shock TV before there was shock TV, and my heart just sank because I'm like fuck man, you know in my head I'm the hottest thing on TV right now and actually I mean I was fairly hot at that time, um, and I'm not gonna be in WrestleMania shit. This is my idea to do Morton Downey right it should be with me, and then of course you know he says. He goes, yeah, and then, of course, you know, the biggest mouth of them all, you know, Brother Love. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on Piper's Pit? You know, now it's like it was even cooler than I could ever imagine. You know, when when I heard there was a chance of getting Roddy, I was like, oh, hey, man, maybe he could be a guest on the Brother Love show and things like that. To me, it was even better. It was the perfect storm of, of being on a Piper's Pit. So that was fun. The idea was going out, go meet Roddy, go talk to Roddy, get inside of his head. You guys figure out, you know, what you want to do. And I already had figured out what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted I wanted to do exactly what we did in our part, um, good, bad, or indifferent. I had fun doing it. It's what I wanted to do. And I told Roddy this, and I, and I had heard about how much Roddy hated people imitating him. So I, hello, you know, Roddy, nice to meet you, and blah, blah, blah. He's, oh, what do you want to do, son? I said, well, um, I understand. It's a touchy subject. Um, but if I may, please indulge me. What I'd like to do is I'd like to go out and basically do a brother love show, interviewing you before you come out, and I do you. Oh, you do me, son. That's nice. And he's petting me. Yes, yes, right. Oh, let me hear. Let me hear how you call us or something. And so I do the bit for him. And he's looking at me. Yeah, that's that's real nice there. And then what do I do? <laughs> I said, well, then you interrupt, you know, on, on my third, the third time I do it, you interrupt and basically come out and take over and you do the same thing to me where you go to interview me and you take the microphone away from me and you do me like, I love you and all this other shit. And he goes, how's that you do that there, son? I love you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And we just, we just chatted about what ifs then lay shit out. And then it was like, I said, then, you know, we'll do a little physicality and I'll fucking, 
you know, skedaddle. And he's like, huh, what what you have in mind there? So I said, well, whatever you want to do. So I'll leave that up to you, whatever the fuck you want to do, man. So <clears throat> we we talked in generalities, and, and I went out, and I did it. And, I, and the only thing that they had, I said, Jack, the third time that I go to do Roddy, uh, interrupt me with, with Roddy's music. And I said, once I uh, bump out of the ring, and once I'm on the floor, hit Roddy's music immediately. And we just went out and kind of just did our thing. Didn't talk about what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, other than I was going to do him, he was going to interrupt, and then he did his thing. And then well, he whoops my ass at the end. Well, I'll tell you what. When you're talking about doing your thing, you need to do it with the best. And we're talking about our friends at Henson Shaving. I absolutely love this razor. I have been selling it hard to all my friends and family and coworkers. Because I believe it's the best razor I've ever had. I sold my dad on getting one and he said, okay, I'll do it. So I said, oh, we'll use our promo code. And we logged on the computer there at the office and I saw for the first time how much it cost. I'm not going to tell you how much it cost. I had to go look. You got to go look too. But I'll tell you this. I was blown away because not only this is not ad copy. This is the way I feel. Not only is Henson shaving better than what you've been doing. It's also cheaper. Let me explain. Henson shaving is a family owned aerospace parts manufacturer. That's made parts for the international space station and the Mars Rover. Now they're bringing that same precision engineering to your doggone face. You see, they tell me razor blades are like diving boards. They explain the longer the board, the more the wobble and the more the wobble, the more likely you are to get nicks and cuts and scrapes. You see a bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. But Henson shaving makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair. They're able to do this because they use their aerospace grade CNC machines to create a more secure and stable blade that allows you a vibration free shave. And it gets better. The Henson razor also has built in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. What I like best about Henson is they wanted to make the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no stupid subscriptions, no plastic, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. I feel like when I hold it in my hand, this is the last razor I'll ever need. It feels old school. It feels like something our grandfathers used, but it's got that new age tech that's going to give you the best shave of your life. Grandpa never had a razor 0.0013 inches. They didn't know how to make that back then. Aerospace grade CNC machines to the rescue. Thanks to Henson shaving. But here's the best part. Once you own the razor, which you're going to do at hensonshavingcom slash wrestle, it's only three to $5 a year to replace the blades. Think about how crazy that is. When you go down to the store, the drugstore, the Walmart, the target, whatever, they keep the razors oftentimes behind lock and key because they're freaking expensive. And you're telling me you can get razors for a year for three to $5. It's true. That's why I'm sold. Henson shaving is not only better. It's also cheaper than what you've been doing. Folks, it's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Go see for yourself at hensonshavingcom slash wrestle. Pick the razor for you and use the promo code wrestle and you'll get two years worth of blades for free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. 
That's 100 free blades. When you head to H E N S O N S H A V I N G.com slash wrestle and use the promo code wrestle 100 free blades. How do you beat it? Hensonshaving.com forward slash wrestle. I love it. You will too. I convinced my barber to get one. I've got one at the office. I've got one at home. I've got one in my travel bag. This is a regular part of my life forever and ever. Amen. See what we're talking about right now. You're going to be shocked three to $5 a year for blades. Hensonshaving.com slash wrestle. So listen, let's talk about it. We're here for WrestleMania, WrestleMania five, but it's not the only show. Just like you counter-programmed your big uh, primetime special for three hours. The we didn't counter-program shit. We just did sure. primetime. Sure. Well, they're going to counter-program you, or they're going to try. They're going to counter with a clash of the champions on TBS, just like they did at WrestleMania four. This time though, they've got a rematch for flair versus steamboat, but boy, they need to get their act together because the shy town rumble is in the rearview mirror. And now it's raging Cajun clash of the champions at the Superdome, And there's maybe a misunderstanding on their side of things. They're not promoting tickets on TV because they want people to just watch and not necessarily come to the arena. Well, no problem. Only 5,300 people show up to the doggone Superdome in new Orleans. It does a 4.6 rating on TV. The prior year with flair and sting and Greensboro, they did a 5.8 rating. So this is a win for you guys, by the way, another win is you've jacked up the ticket price from WrestleMania four to WrestleMania five. And because you've done that WrestleMania five draws the largest live gate in wrestling history here in America. And there's more homes that have pay-per-view than they did for 88 or even 87. So as a result, this breaks the all time record for pay-per-view buys more than 600,000 people bought this pay-per-view and it was head to head with a free television special on TBS. The result is $18.9 million of a total gross revenue. That's between your pay-per-view the live gate and the closed circuit and everything else. WrestleMania five is the biggest show in wrestling history up to that point. Did you know it walking in? Did this not, you said at the top, maybe it didn't feel as big as Hogan Andre in regards to the NBC attraction, but man, this is just shattering all kinds of records, the gate, the pay-per-view on and on and on. Is this like as good as it's going to get, at least in your mind at the time? Like we'll never beat this. This is unbelievable. And to be fair, to clarify, the the NBC was a tag team match. Yes, it, it wasn't a one on one personal issue by that point. So we knew what we were getting to, and I think the personal issue of the Mega Powers exploding is what made it so special. Was finally Savage and Hogan are going to come together and settle this thing. So it was a, a great promotion and something people wanted to see, obviously, and. Um, I think going in, yeah, everybody anticipated this thing to be huge. Well, it is. There's 18,946 fans in the building. Over 17,500 of those were paid. Noticeably on the ring skirts and the banners above the ring, it's the same ones we used at WrestleMania 4, uh, but we've just added uh, uh, the, the, the eye has been scrubbed out. So it's sort of uh, purple now instead of gold. I just think that's such a cool little thing that we're, we're reusing it. Uh, gorilla monsoon and Jesse Ventura are on the call as usual. 
and they have a notable singing sensation. The WWF women's champion rock and rebel or rock and Robin rather is here to kick off America. The beautiful. Well, she's supposed to anyway. And the music starts up and Robin just sort of stands here for what feels like an eternity until the music is cut off and we cut away. It's live TV, pal. It was meant to happen. We come back to Robin a few minutes later. Once gorilla and Jesse welcome us to the show. Howard Finkel apologizes for the audio difficult difficulties. And Robin finally performs arguably the least awesome version of America, the beautiful at WrestleMania. Jesse quickly says on commentary, she needs to keep her day job monsoon. Speaking of day jobs and we're back, Bruce, what'd you think of, uh, poor Robin and America, the beautiful, just snake bit. Ooh. Um, yes, let's go with that. Yeah. Was not good. Wasn't good. You know, the, the other thing about it was, I don't know that anyone had ever heard her sing. America the Beautiful. I think at one point we had her sing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, uh, look, man, not everything's a hit. That was not a hit. <laughs> I love you. She's a nice woman, and I'm glad that we got to talk about her here today. She is a nice woman. She's great. I, I wish she had been wrestling Sherry instead. Him, she probably wishes she was wrestling Sherry too. The first match is King Haku. Wish she was wrestling Sherry. <laughs> the first uh, match is King Haku with Bobby Heenan uh, taking on Hercules. We're not having a good start. Finkel's going to flub up and introduce Haku using his old ring name, King Tonga. Uh, the Robin and Haku flubs were completely edited out of any of the future releases of the show. Following the original pay-per-view Bobby Heenan had of course sold the contract of Hercules to Ted DiBiase, like half a year earlier, uh, which if this match wasn't just thrown together, hurt coming for revenge on one of Bobby's men is a good reason. Hercules is going to get the win over Haku in six minutes and 53 seconds with a back suplex into a bridge. That's not exactly what we'd call a hot opener for the biggest event of the year, but Hey, it was what it was. Would you agree? That's what it was. Yeah. What it was for the next several matches. There's not really any rhyme or reason to sort of explain these matches. (coughs) And, And maybe that's a norm for a lot of early WrestleMania. So we just want to get guys on the card. The twin towers are going to be accompanied by slick. They're going to be taking on the rockers in match number two. They go eight this was a great match. It was a great match. And buddy, there is a clothesline in here that people still talk about to this day where Akeem takes Shawn Michaels freaking head off. Uh, ultimately though, it goes eight minutes and five seconds when Akeem pins Michaels with a splash after boss man caught Michaels coming off the top and hit a power bomb. And this of course is the first WrestleMania for a guy who would go on to become Mr. WrestleMania. Maybe not exactly the debut he would have loved to have, but people still talk about that clothesline spot all these years later, man. Yeah. Cause it's great. This whole match again was going back to the, the way the rock and roll express was made in mid South and the way that the uh dusty you know stole the exact same idea and used it in the carolinas was rock and roll came in two small guys 
especially compared to the roster that Watts had in Mid-South at the time, which were all big guys, you know. And the Rock and Roll came in and had a match with Nikolai Volkov and uh, Crusher Darso, Barry Darso. Big, nasty heels. And Rock and Roll zipped all around that ring. And they scored the upset. And what they did was they were tag team specialists. There you go. They were smaller than everybody else, and they knew it. However, the way that they utilized the tag team rules and how they tagged in and out, the way that they manipulated the ring and the way that they cut it off and the way that they tagged in and out, and, oh, my God, they were so fast and so quick that they could beat anybody, and they did. And I kept trying to, you know, go back and and sell this. Pat was on board. I think Vince was much more difficult to sell to do the same thing with the Rockers. They're not as big as everybody else. But in a team, these guys are tag team specialists and they can beat anybody on any given day. They're the best at tag team wrestling. And it took a while. I mean, we got there, but... um, not in the same way that I would have loved to have, have had it done, but it's still, I think, I think we still got there. Oh, it was a good match. I, uh, I like the rockers in that era too. And they were great. And, yeah. and, and look, man, Akeem and boss man were great at this time too. Yes, no doubt. Speaking of great, Ted DiBiase's great. And we're going to hear from him backstage. He's now the million dollar champion. He debuted that new belt, uh, about a month prior to this on the brother love show. He's not going to be defending the belt here, but there you see what a great shot of Tony Schiavone with a little, uh, sun in, in that hair. Hey, at least he got one WrestleMania. So we know Brutus Beefcake is going to be taking on Ted DiBiase with Virgil. They're going to go to a double count out of 10 minutes. And prior to the bout, DiBiase and Virgil are going to shake hands with Donald Trump at ringside, which is obviously a big deal. And after the match, Beefcake is going to put Virgil in a sleeper and fight Ted DiBiase. But, uh, both men are able to escape the ring before Beefcake can use the, uh, the cutting shears on DiBiase. We're just a year removed from Ted being in the main event against Randy Savage. And here he's not even beating Brutus, the freaking barber beefcake. What's the thinking here is, I mean, I understand the whole storyline of the million dollar champion and that was great stuff. However, was Ted frustrated with creative or was this just a function to, Hey, let's have these guys work together around the house again by that logic so well everybody should be in the main event every time well if you were in a main event once and every every show you should be in the main event that doesn't work you've got to go up and down the card that's just logic it's just not everybody's going to be in the main event every single show Next up, we see footage from the WrestleMania brunch with Lord Alfred Hayes trying to interview the Bushwhackers as they're eating as only the Bushwhackers can. What do you remember of these WrestleMania brunches? Any fun memories of those? No, we used to, you know, we used to do some fun shit, especially there in, in Atlantic City. We did the, uh, they had the, they're almost like rickshaws and where somebody, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, handsome cabs or something like that. And petty cabs. Yeah. But they, but they, they would run with them. Okay. You'd have a, you have a person pick them up and run with them. And we had races like that. We had marathons, we had brunches, we had a lot of different things. This was before there was a WrestleMania week. It was kind of the WrestleMania weekend in which 
superstars participated in, in events all over the market and everything. In Atlantic City, there was no shortage of things for them to do and be a part of. We took over the town uh, in every way that we could. So there was all there was always something going on and always something if, if you can't, you know, hey, we missed um, the chariot races or whatever. Well, by God, I'm going to make the brunch or I missed the 5K run. Well, by God, I can go make the autograph signing at wherever. So there were always, there were always something for people to do. The fabulous Rougeos are going to come to the ring with their song on pay-per-view for the very first time. The amazing, we're all American boys. It's match number four for the Bushwhackers taking on the fabulous Rougeau brothers, who of course have Jimmy Hart. And, uh, they go five minutes and 11 seconds when Luke is going to pin Raymond, uh, following the battering ram and a double gut buster behind the referees back. And after the bout, Sean Mooney is going to attempt to interview fans up the steps in the aisle. When the bushwhackers come up from behind him and lick his face. But that's not what I remember most about this match. I remember when there was a scoop slam from one of the Rougeos on one of the bushwhackers. And well, we did a little tuggy. It's one of my favorite little internet Twitter memes where people will post this clip. I'm sure the guys are just trying to make each other laugh, but I don't remember something like that happening on camera before, but even today I will get a chuckle when I see it. What in the hell are you talking about? One of the bushwhackers gets picked up for a body slam and he grabs a hold of something. At the well, sometimes you just got to grab. Well, he did, but he didn't just grab it. He gave it a little shake. Like he had what? finished at a urinal. And I don't maybe, know. There, maybe there was enough there to shake. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. It's like a maybe little. It was exciting that there was something more there for him to shake. Gave him shake, a little shake. bit of the. Uh, shake, 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 shake. Shake their wiener. No, 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 no. Their wiener. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, so after the bout, this whole Sean Mooney, listen, uh, I don't know that anybody could have been excited about the bushwhacker lick, but it was part of their act. Was it not? Yeah. Nah, it was fun to get licked by the bushwhackers. Okay. All right. Uh, that might actually be a shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. speaking of these steps, Mr. Perfect is going to stumble slightly on his way to the ring for his next match. Just as one of the bushwhackers did for their match. Those Trump Plaza long steps down from the entrance ring. Oh my God. It's kind of a nightmare to navigate. Is it not? God, they were horrible. Yeah. And they were carpeted and there were places in the carpet where it wasn't tight. So you had like that little bump and it, oh yeah, they were horrible. They were horrible. And you couldn't, you couldn't even count out like, okay, six, you know, six steps till you get to the next step, you know, no, they were all different. They're all horrible. And long. Horrible and long. Horrible and long. You would start to see Renee. It's not like you're long and horrible. No, that'd be different. No, that would be different. Uh, it feels like Renee Goulet starts telling everybody as soon as they come through the curtain to look out for the steps. Uh, and speaking for this, look out for the step. Ah, you dumb idiot. He trip on the step. Mr. Perfect is going to win match number five, pinning the blue blazer with a forearm blow in the perfect plex at 5:49, perfect is now wearing a singlet for the first time prior to this. He'd just been wrestling in short trunks and for a fun little quick match, the crowd is completely quiet for it as they are for a lot of the show. 
I get the idea that perhaps a lot of these were quote unquote casino buys. Will that be fair to say? Yes, they were. Can you explain to our listeners what that was? What is a casino buy? And and I'm sure that's part of the way you achieve this all time gate record, right? Yeah. The casino buys up so many tickets for the event and gives them out to their high rollers. And a lot of times the high rollers just want to go and be seen at whatever the big event in town is, whether they are into it or not. And unfortunately, a lot of times they weren't necessarily into it. So you had people that were there that were just there to be there. Didn't pay for the tickets. You know, the casino did. Right. But you dropped, you know, $100,000 in the casino to get a couple tickets and you go because you think this is the thing to do. And and it kills the ambiance of the event a lot of times. I think this is the weekend where Bret Hart has told the memorable story of Owen prank calling his dad, Stu on the phone saying he was Reggie parks and really riling up Stu that he wanted to go with him right now. This is also when, uh, we would see Owen go for a split legged moonsault, but look at all the talent here. That's in, in the rise in the ranks here. I mean, the coming out party for Mr. Perfect and the blue blazer is not long for this world, but man, Owen Hart's going to be a part of this company for a long time. Even though this might feel like the peak, it also feels like the beginning of a hell of a run talent wise. Does it not? Absolutely. Yeah, it was absolutely. It was, it was, um, an opportunity here. You see a lot of young talent that is just starting to get into the position of, you know, what's next in their career. And for guys like Sean, for guys like Owen, for guys like Brett, uh, perfect, man, it was, it was a launching pad. Well, we know that we're going to see, uh, Mr. Fuji on the Atlantic city boardwalk. This is the prior mornings, WrestleMania five K run with Lord Alfred Hayes. They do turn I think this Fuji into, won it. They do a fun little bit here where he's going to talk about how he's going to win because he's in superior shape, even though everybody else is in their running gear and he's in a full tuxedo. And then we cut to the end of the race and Fuji has completed it faster than anyone else. Of course, there's some, yes, Fuji, Fuji was man. You give him a five or six K and he'll, he'll, he'll eat it. Set records. Oh yes, absolutely, man. And hardly break a sweat. Yes. His face paint was still intact. Look cool doing it. He didn't need running shoes or little shorts or anything like that, Mm -hmm. man. Tuxedo man has class. Yes. Correct. Probably had a pedicure and a manicure if I had to guess. And of course. Gotta have class, pal. Gotta have class. So before we get to the next match, uh, we do another little inter- intermission bit here. We see Jesse, the body Ventura pose at the top of the podium. Uh, we introduce him to the crowd and he does the pose down just like he did the prior year. But when we Man, come back from that was dangerous as shit. How so we could never get away with doing that today with all the safety and, and everything. When you think about it. dude, that was like a little platform that, that came out over the audience from the booth. And man, I remember going up there and, and walking in the booth and thinking, holy shit, there's no way I would get out there. Right. There's no railing. There was no nothing. And Jesse's like, ah, yeah, I'll be fine. Okay. Well, we're fine to come back and see run DMC perform the WrestleMania rap. Yeah, man. Run DMC, obviously a big act. Uh, hip hop is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. They are mainstream acts and big stars. Uh, 
How do they come to be at this show? Myrna Gardner. Uh, Myrna Gardner, man, uh, was the person that booked talent for us at that time. And they were a red hot act, but also big, big fans. They came to the studio in Stanford to record the commercials for WrestleMania that, that they were a part of to promote their attendance at WrestleMania and the WrestleMania rap that they were writing. And I'm producing these vignettes with them and they're going on and on about how, how much they hate this guy, brother love. And if they were ever in his presence, they would fuck him up and they would kick his ass. Unlike any ass kicking he ever had. And nobody would smarten him up. And then somebody smart, I left the room to do something came back in towards the end of the night and they were backpedaling and just like, Oh my God, I didn't know that was you. And I, yeah. Uh, turned out to be good guys, but I, yeah, I was not a fan at first. They warmed up to each other. We did warm up to each other. Yeah. Well, once, once we got time to hang out and, yeah. and all this stuff, yeah, look, I wasn't, I was not a fan of, of all that rap stuff. Yeah. You know, I got there. I like, I like the Sugar Hill gang and, 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 uh, and what's that, what's that rap? Rapper's delight. Rapper's delight. It's delightful to be a rapper. I said a hip, hip, a hippie did a hippie did a hop, hop, a hippie did a hip, bang, bang, the boogie said up, jump, the boogie did the boogie beat. Now, if your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. I don't think that's how it goes. Motel, Holiday Inn. If your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. That's what that's a fucking line in that song. I don't think it goes in that order, but I'm really impressed. I'm pretty, I'm, if you ever go over to your friend's house to eat and the food, just say no good. What? That's going on. Yeah. Right that's part of that song, man. <sighs> Match number macaroni six. Macaroni and the chicken tastes like wood. What? Okay. I said a M-A-S, a T-E-R, a G with a double E. I said, I'm go by the unforgettable name of the man they call the Master G. Well, my name is known all over the world by all the foxy ladies and the pretty girls. Going down in history as the baddest brother that ever could be. Yeah, I'm feeling the highs and I'm feeling the lows. Something going down into my toes. Yeah, all this shit, dude. Man, I can, I'm a rapping motherfucker, man. These guys were posers. I don't know what to say. Uh, the tag team champions demolition are going to defeat powers of pain and Mr. Fuji in a two on three handicap match. When Axe is going to pin Fuji following the decapitation after Fuji accidentally threw the salt in the warlord's eyes, uh, Tony Schiavone is in the back and he's going to try to enter Randy Savage's dressing room. He's going to run out and say no interviews and pushes the cameraman down. Dig it. Wish you would have pushed Tony down. That'd have been great. Next up, we've got Dino Bravo pinning Ron Garvin in four minutes with an inverted atomic drop and a side suplex. But before we get there, Howard Finkel introduces Jimmy Snuka with Snuka then appearing, coming to the ring, posing for the fans and then leaving. It's kind of weird, but that's what happened. And after the match, Garvin is going to knock Bravo to the floor, attack Martin and execute the Garvin stomp. And this is Snooka's return after last appearing in the company in June of 85. And it's also lovely how we, brother. lovely brother. Lovely. Why no match here? No physicality. Why just walk out to the ring and pose? That's all he needed to do. Snooka must pose. 
Lovely brother. Yes. Shakara. Lovely brother. So uh that she. Jimmy Hart's gonna take over for Dino Bravo. And uh this is the seventh match, and we're only halfway through. There's seven more to go. Okay, so I was just gonna say when you got to this point, I said, Conrad, does this already feel like a long fucking show? It is. Yes, it is. And you haven't even gotten to the best part. Of course, we're talking about the strike force breakup. That's what's coming up next. And the crazy thing is this is their first time teaming since June of 88. Martel had left for six months and only worked as a single for a few months before coming back in January. It's the brain busters beating strike force in nine minutes and 17 seconds. Arn Anderson is going to pin Tito after the spike pile driver late in the bout. Rick Martel walks out on his partner after Tito accidentally hits him with the flying burrito. I mean, forearm. And after the contest, mean Gene Okerlund conducts a backstage interview with Martel about his actions with Martel claiming he was sick of Santana wanting to ride his coattails and called him a loser. The whole story is about Rick and Tito, but there's never a big payoff. Why do you think that is? I don't know. This is good stuff. Next up, uh, it's just every, yeah, it is. I don't think people care. <laughs> okay, there you yeah, go. People just really didn't care. Well, we know Howard Finkel is gonna make sure everyone uh, cares about a long, elaborate introduction for Roddy Piper. But you come out instead wearing a kilt and pretending to interview Piper, doing your own impersonation of Piper to answer each of his questions. Moments later, Morton Downey Jr., who was supposed to be Piper's guest, appears, insults you. And then the real Piper is introduced. Piper speaks with you mentioning the kilt. Then he takes it off and we reveal your big red underwear and you're running back up the steps, trying to cover yourself up. And Piper turns his attention to Mr. Downey. They start going back and forth. Eventually there's the whole don't blow no more smoke in my face stuff. Um, the fire extinguisher comes out. It's a big bit. And you're in there with one of the biggest television stars and one of your inspirations for wrestling, a true bona fide WrestleMania moment here. Probably the biggest moment in your career at this point. No, at that point, absolutely. This was, and going back and, and being able to work with, uh, Morton daddy jr. Was again, he was a, he was a pleasure. He was a really good fun guy. You know, he got it. He was doing, he was breaking barriers over there in, in daytime television and creating a genre that, you know, to this day is still taking place. So, um, he was an interesting cat. <laughs> he was an interesting cat, but he got it. And, and he was fun to work with the, you know, go, going through that whole thing. First of all, it took forever. The idea was once I left, if they were per- pretty much supposed to go home right, right there, man. They were supposed to wrap it up and Roddy and they started ad living. Now this one I had written, this one I had written out for everybody and everything. And we rehearsed it. Everything was fine. We went over it a gazillion times cause I just didn't trust Roddy. And I just, I for sure as hell didn't trust Morton. And I want to know exactly what the hell they were going to say out there. And they didn't do any of it. They just ad-libbed and went on and 
on and on and on. And God, I was dying. And Vince was looking at me going, how long is this going to go? And I'm like, I should have been done five minutes ago. And then they kept, then they went on and on from there. I, I remember coming back. I tripped on the steps going up. And I, first time I did it, I meant to do it so that I could get up and have my big red ass in the camera's, you know, face and all that shit and everything. The second time I did it was an accident and I really tripped and man, I thought I broke both my knees and my, my knees were so skinned up and so banged up, um, both swollen. I mean, huge the next day. Uh, and I really thought I go, I'm like, I broke my knees. And I just banged them up pretty bad, but holy cow, it hurt. And then they got finally got done, and uh, Piper did the fire extinguishing thing, and Morton Downey just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. He was supposed to stay in the ring and, and sell, and he just kept coming, and Piper wanted to kill him. Shit happens. Was there a, a story about this show backstage that involved ceiling tiles, or am I thinking of something else? No, this wasn't ceiling tiles. It was a uh, air conditioner. So, back in those days, the only time that you saw police with dogs, they were drug dogs. So you thought <laughs> the dressing room was basically the stage with the curtain. Mm-hmm. All right, and everybody had their bags and shit and everything. There, that's where we all dressed. When all of a sudden, from like all corners of the building, man, come these cops with dogs. Yes. And they're like sniffing and they're really, and everybody went and grabs their bags and they're they're running. And I grabbed my bags and Piper and I went upstairs or something. And Roddy looks up and he says, they can't smell it up there. And there was like an air conditioning unit that was, kind of hanging from the ceiling. And I throw my extracurricular activity bag um, <laughs> up there just because I'm terrified. Oh, dog come and find my stash. But like an idiot, I just did it. And then I look at him and go, now what? How do I get it down? I don't know, man. Good luck with that. <laughs> you asshole. <clears throat> so I sat there with a broom kind of trying to get it down with your broken knees. This would help my yeah. broken knees. If I could get it down. Yes. Yes. And it did. I finally got it down. Oh uh, yeah. Well, there's a will. There's, there's a, a way. Will, there's a way. There's, yes. You put drugs on top of an air conditioning unit. 10 Bruce Pritchard will get it down. I can get it down for you. <laughs> <laughs> then we see a commercial for the no holds barred movie. And Jesse Ventura is pissed after this commercial saying Hogan's trying to invade his territory in Hollywood and steal his thunder. This would have been a great promo, uh, a great program. Then we see a very nervous Sean Mooney conduct a very awkward interview with Donald Trump in the front row. Mooney is, uh, stumbling over his words, but uh, listen, at this point, Donald Trump wasn't who he is now. Uh, he was uh, pretty famous rather than infamous, if you will. And then we see a recap of everything leading up to the whole Hogan Savage main event before Mean Gene interviews Hulk Hogan. And it's one of those crazy promos 
where he talks about everything under the sun, including sending a whole team of seismologists out here to check the foundation of the Trump towers, because when the mega powers explode off the launching pad, brother, as we erupt over the whole Atlantic city, he was worried about the foundation. He was worried about the thousands of people in the arena. that might become unseated and swallowed by the earth. Hogan maybe helped you get some of that stuff down from the ceiling. It sounds like. Well, yeah, with the, just the rumbling of the it just jarred it loose. Like it was ensuing. Uh, match Brother. number nine is one of the big matches. We've got Andre the Giant taking on Jake the Snake. Big John Studd is our special guest referee, and this all, of course, began back in October of '88 on Saturday Night's main event when Andre suffered a quote-unquote heart attack when Jake threw Damien on him, showing that Andre is indeed afraid of snakes. Uh, and there's the whole other story of trying to tell the story of. How can Jake possibly get a DDT on Andre? In the end, Jake gets the win by DQ when Andre attacks the referee and repeatedly headbutts Stud as Roberts chases Ted DiBiase and Virgil in the aisle and DiBiase attempts to steal Damien from ringside. And after the bout, Roberts is going to slide Damien into the ring and scare Andre off. Fun stuff here. And uh, it eventually sets up Jake versus DiBiase, which we see a year later at WrestleMania six. But after this, uh, he's going to take some time off for a neck surgery. What could have been here if Jake didn't take some time off? Do you think he would have become an even bigger star? I mean, I, I know that it's not like he planned to be hurt, but it felt like he had some momentum here working with Andre. This could have been a much bigger deal. Man. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that uh, had Jake not taken the time off and gotten the neck surgery, I don't know how long his career might have lasted beyond that. Well, there you go. And the next surgery was from the, you know, the shot that he took from the hockey talk, man, in that snake pit when hockey came out and hit yep. Jake with the guitar. So Jake really needed the time off here just for, for his own good. Tony Schiavone is going to be backstage with sensational Sherry, and she's going to call out Elizabeth and blames her for the mega powers exploding. So we're teasing the upcoming partnership with Sherry, Sherry and Savage. So. Maybe they had this in mind and they thought, well, we don't need Sherry doing that and the match. So we'll let rock and Robin go sing. And maybe Sherry made out better here. Uh, Bret Hart is another guy who's going to trip on the steps when he's coming down to the ring to start match. Number 10, probably the same place I did. It's the Hart foundation getting a win over uh, honky tonk man and Greg, the hammer Valentine. It happens when Brett pins honky after hitting him with Jimmy Hart's megaphone that was thrown into him by uh, Jim Neidhart. This is clearly one of those matches where we just got to get everybody on the card, but fans are excited for match number 11 on this show. It's the intercontinental championship match, the ultimate warrior defending against ravishing Rick rude. And frankly, anything would be an improvement from the pose down at the Royal rumble. Uh, rude has the IC title airbrushed on the front of his tights, which is a really nice touch. And ultimately rude picks up the win when uh, ultimate warrior suplexes rude into the ring. And Heenan grabs Warrior's leg out from under him and holds the boot down. The referee does not see that the boot is underneath the bottom rope. One, two, three. Rick Rude is your Intercontinental Champion. And, of course, Warrior is going to chase after Heenan and then drop him with a gorilla press slam and run backstage after Rude. This is probably Warrior's greatest match in his career at this point. But Warrior dropping Heenan at the end looks pretty damn scary especially when you consider that Bobby Heenan still has to wrestle tonight 
And this is Warrior's first pinfall loss in the company. He doesn't suffer very many. It's going to lead to Warrior chasing Root on the house shows and then reclaiming it at SummerSlam 89. And this is Heenan's first champion that he's going to manage in nearly five years. It's crazy to think it took Heenan five years to manage a champion, but I'm sure he's talking about that less and more about that bump he took from the ultimate warrior. What do you remember about Bobby talking about this? He couldn't have been happy. Nobody was happy taking that bump from warrior. Yeah. It was painful. Yeah. The, the, him grabbing you was him touching you was painful. Yeah. So, you know, um, Bobby was a trooper, man. Bobby would do any and everything that he could possibly do to to make the matches better and to enhance. And if that meant him taking bumps, then he was going to take bumps. I think that the frustration was was that, you know, you, you go out there and you give your body for someone and, and they treat your body recklessly. And that's what happened here. I, I just... God, I just watched it, and it was it's painful to watch. It's painful to watch him try. You could tell that Warrior just didn't you – know, he couldn't get him up. You know, the only the only guys that, that Warrior ever got up were guys that were really good that he wanted to get up. Like, he didn't like me. He didn't want to get me up. He didn't want to get Bobby up. He, you know, couldn't get Hogan up. So it is what it is. Let's talk a little bit about match number 12, Hacksaw Jim Duggan fighting bad news Brown to a double disqualification. They go three minutes and 47 seconds. Bad news is going to grab a steel chair after he took a clothesline from uh, Duggan and Duggan is going to swing back with a two by four. Uh, and there's a, a pretty famous shot of Duggan with a huge wad of snot hanging out of his nose at the end of the match, which of course, Jesse's going to talk about how disgusting it is on commentary. And then match number 13, thankfully it's a quickie. It's the red freaking rooster now sporting red dye in his hair to further establish that he is indeed a rooster versus, uh, his manager or former manager, Bobby, the brain Heenan. And before the match, Mean Gene does a rooster promo that of course starts with cockadoodle doo and ends with cockadoodle doo. It'll be a great day at the barnyard, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Heenan Good stuff. Heenan's still selling, getting dropped by the warrior earlier. And he's got Brooklyn brawler with him. It goes 32 seconds before that's it. Heenan's going to get uh, hit with the ring post shoulder first. And after the bout brawler is going to attack the rooster, but rooster quickly clears the ring. It was a great day at the barnyard. And then we've got mean Gene with a concerned miss Elizabeth before the main event. And she's emphasizing she's going to be in a neutral corner. And our only hope is that Hulk nor Randy get hurt. And we're finally here. The 14th match on the card and the mega powers are about to explode, but don't you sleep on this main event. And I'll tell you what, Bruce and I don't have any trouble sleeping. Thanks to sleep. Me, you see, science has proven that cold sleep creates better sleep. Temperature controlled sleep repairs your muscles after a hard day's work and it improves your cognitive function. So you can always start your day feeling sharp and confident and alert and energized. That's where Sleep Me comes in. Let me explain. Sleep Me is the new home for Chili Sleep. Same great sleep, but a new name. Sleep Me makes the coldest sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures. They promote deeper, more restorative sleep. These systems are water-based, but it's not a water bed. 
It's a temperature controlled mattress topper. It fits over your existing mattress to provide you the ideal sleep temperature. You see, water has these amazing thermal properties, so it can heat up some air or cool down some air. And that air circulates through your bed and keeps you warm or cool. My wife likes to likes to sleep a little warmer than I do. She wants to climb into a warm bed, but then cool her off. So she doesn't get all hot and sweaty and warm her up to wake her up. That's all automated through the app. You can do this too. We're in the same bed, sleeping on different sides at different temperatures. And they just launched a brand new Doc Pro sleep system. And check this out, y'all. It's got new Hyper AI. So you can experience ultimate cooling power with the Doc Pro sleep system. You can pair it with the new Sleep Me app. And you can get real time temperature adjustments based on your current sleep activity from the new Hyper AI technology. You see, this is the industry's first sleep tech that tracks and optimizes your sleep and your sleep temperature in real time. So you can get the best sleep of your life with some AI driven technology. How about that? Head on over right now to sleep.me forward slash wrestle to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Uller, or Cube sleep system. I got to tell you, this offer is available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners. And y'all, it's only for a limited time, so hurry. That's sleep, S L E E P dot M E slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Sleep.me forward slash wrestle. Let's jump back into it, man. The mega powers are exploding. It's our 14th match on the show. Of course, it's customary for the challenger to enter first for a big title match. But here comes the champion, the macho man, the heel, and he's out first. And the story is he's competing with a serious staph infection. Now we at home, we don't know this, but there's no chance that Macho Man is going to miss a WrestleMania main event against Hulk Hogan, the biggest, most successful wrestling show of all time. So he's out here wrestling with a staph infection wrapped up in his elbow. Tell us about it, Bruce. Well, Randy had banged his elbow and in doing so, uh, is the thing was healing Brandy contacted staff and his entire elbow just ballooned up, got red. And you, you saw the line, uh, going down his arm. So for days before Randy was getting intravenous fluids and, and antibiotics into his system so that he would be able to go, uh, he got the, the swelling and everything down, but it was still an open wound. So Randy had to wrap that thing. We had to protect the hell out of it so that it didn't get damaged further. Um, I don't know that it, it, I don't know there really could have been any more damage to it at that point, but uh, Randy being the trooper that he is, you know, taped it all up. We had doctors go in and pack it and make sure that it was uh, clean as could possibly be. And also wrap that damn thing up so that, you know, nothing would be able to get into it. And Randy went out like the trooper that he is to have that match. Wasn't anything that was going to keep Randy out of the ring that night. I'm sure he's not even upset that he's coming out first. Everybody in the business knows Hulk Hogan's the biggest star and here he comes. But the gimmick here is that Elizabeth is going to be at ringside, but in a neutral corner. So she's going to make her decision of who she's going with at the end of the match. Even though everyone saw Savage as the company's top heel again, she still sees the good in him. During the course of the match, Savage takes a bad bump on the outside and Elizabeth goes to help him, but he yells at her later. When Hogan tries to post Savage, Elizabeth gets in the way. This allows Savage to post Hogan, 
but Elizabeth then stops Savage from attacking Hogan. The referee orders Elizabeth to leave ringside and later Savage hits the flying elbow in the closing moments, but Hogan kicks out at two and uh, of course makes his big Hulk up comeback and gets the pin in 17 minutes and 54 seconds, big boot to the face, leg drop. And what do you know? We have a new WWF champion for the second time, the Hulkster. Of course he beat, uh, the iron Sheik way back when, and now here he is all these years later. Hogan's won it back. And this is really a great match. You know, Hulk Hogan is not really known for having good matches. Savage made sure this was a WrestleMania worthy main event. I really enjoyed this match. And I know there's naysayers out there who would say, well, steamboat, uh, had a better match that night with Ric Flair. He probably did. Well, Clint from Hershey, he will say, well, you know, there were 19 different pin attempts in the match before. And this one only had like nine. And I think the nine is not appropriate uh, amount of number of pinfalls for a championship match. This caliber being in the main event of the WrestleMania. We totally agree. This uh, is the biggest show possible home run event. Um, the, the beautiful championship that was just debuted a year prior now around Hulk Hogan's waist, Uh fun little trivia note, Randy Savage, one war, wore one belt to the ring. And when Hogan holds up the belt at the end of the night, it is in fact a different championship made by Reggie park, same design, but a different belt. I'm curious from your perspective. We've always heard that Randy Savage was, uh, particular. That's a nice way of saying it. He's coming out first. I don't think that's probably that big a deal to him. I could, I could see him getting there. No, but then he's also going to have Hulk kick out of the elbow drop. Any discussion about that? You recall? No, not at all. Okay. Again, it's the right thing to do. It was, you know, as much as people would like to talk about, oh yeah, flat blasphemous. No, it's great story folks. It's a great story. And if, you know, somebody, it's, to me, that's just that silly stuff that fans that think they're smart have created amongst in their own mind mm. that it's, it's to me, it's silly. Absolutely silly. what do you think of the show, Bruce, overall? Too long. Too long for sure. But yeah, it just it just was way too long. You you could have had the the Savage match uh with Hulk. You could have had Warrior and Rude. Jake and uh, Andre. Jake and Andre, Brother Love and and Piper. I mean Gotta have that could have probably got got just done that in Savage and Hogan. That'd been it. Then that'd be it. People would have been happy. But there was just there was just too many matches. matches that did not mean anything that were just filler to say, hey, there were fourteen matches on the card. So too you don't, do you hold this in high regard? Is this one of your favorite WrestleManias just because of the main <laughs> event or no? Actually, yes. Yeah, I do. I think that this was one of the best uh, WrestleManias, and, and I and again, I am partial. I I'm partial to the story of Hogan and Savage that was patient and laid out and paid off. And then I'm partial to it because, uh, I got to play a part of it with one of the top stars ever in the industry. So that was a big deal. Well, it's a big, it's a big deal that we got you to, to pin down and, and talk about WrestleMania five. This has been one of our most requested topics. And as such, we got a bunch of questions. No way we'll get to them all. Let's hit a few. 
James Stewart, friend of the show. Shout out to him. Our buddy from Calhoun's wants to know uh, whose idea was it to break up strike force and who came up with the in match creative to do it. That's one question, but here's the one I'm more interested in. Why were Tully and Arn allowed to be similar to how they were in the NWA and not have something pulled out of the old box of gimmicks for them? I think that's just who they were. Uh, I don't know that Tully and Arn could do anything else other than Tully and Arn. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think either one was really capable of doing a character and they were, you know, they were who they were. So let them be who they are. I don't think that Terry Taylor is, I think it's the red rooster was more interesting than just Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor did not have the same level of success as Arn and Tully did. So it's, it's just uh, completely different. I completely forget what the first question was. Uh, here's one uh, from Mike Mills. He says, at this point, was there ever thought, or what were the thoughts for <coughs> WrestleMania six? Warrior losing to Rude seemed like it was getting ready to move him up to the tippy top. That's a great question. Did you know, or did you have an idea where you wanted to go for WrestleMania six at this point? No, we had an idea that we wanted Warrior to be a top guy without a doubt. So, the, you know, the grooming had begun for the Ultimate Warrior. And, you know, that definitely was the case to say that we knew that we were going to go Hulk and Warrior, WrestleMania 6. Absolutely not. Uh, Francis wants to know, were there any lessons you learned from the previous year's Mania as it's in the same venue? That's interesting. Did you try something? You said, all right, we won't do it like that again from 88 to 89, something you improved? I think it was more along the lines of what we learned of what to do and to embed ourselves in the community uh, around Atlantic City and, and Trump and be able to participate in as much locally as we possibly could um, to bring, to show the rest of the world Atlantic City and to show the rest of the world, you know, the Trump Casino, which that was why they were hosting us. So give them that exposure on television because then you take that and you can use that to help show other sponsors and other folks that want to be involved with you. Here's what we can do for you. You know, here's what we did for them in Atlantic City, and here's what we could do for you. Uh, here's how we can be involved in your community. Here's how we can enhance your property and give you the promotion that you never, ever had on a national global basis for WrestleMania. Got it. Uh, one last one. And I think you're going to like this one. This is a great question from Dylan McLean. He wants to know, Hey Bruce, what a name. That's a good name. Dylan McLean. How come brother love was never booked to beat Hulk Hogan and win the WWF championship? Dude, am I right? Exactly. How come? I mean, I could have been champion. I should have been champion. I was fucked. That's all I got to say about that. It was all politics. They didn't like me. They, they didn't like me. They're holding you down. They screwed me. They held me down. Yeah. I heard Vince promised you a title run too. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. Several times said, I promise you. Yes. Yeah. And it didn't happen. No. Well, what is going to happen? I've got uh, undisputed something. Russell podcast of the year. Two times. Two years in a row. Two Two times. Two times. Right there. Right there. And the best uh, of sports media, sports illustrated. Yeah. Two times. Got all those right there. Yeah. Uh, next week, Bruce, we're going to be discussing TNA's Victory Road 2011. We'll talk about Sting's return to the company, winning the TNA title, Mr. Anderson and Rob Van Dam, AJ Styles with Ric Flair, 
And of course the now infamous sting and Jeff Hardy main event. Don't forget you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. You get more than a dozen shows starting at just nine bucks a month. And now you can get a free trial. That's right. Try a week on us at adfreeshows.com and be sure to check out Friday, March 17th. We've got seven new pieces of bonus content from Eric Bischoff, Jake Roberts, myself, and a whole lot more. Celebrate St. Patrick's day at adfreeshows.com. By the way, if your business targets men 25 to 54 years old, buddy, there's no better place to advertise than right here with us on something to wrestle with. You've heard us do a lot of ads for the same companies year after year. Now, why is that? Well, because it really works. And with our super targeted audience, man, there's very little waste. Go now to advertisewithbruce.com and find out more about advertising here on something to wrestle. If you miss the show, you're missing out on YouTube. Go check it out right now. Something to wrestle.com. That's something to wrestle.com. You got to see Bruce on video. Silva does a great job putting some graphics and photos that really support the story we're trying to tell. Check it out. I think you'll dig it. Something to wrestle.com. And we should mention we got t-shirts, tumblers, mugs, and a bunch more stuff, including our, our brand new it's ding dong time tea just in time for St. Patrick's day. We've got our kiss me. I love wrestling tees. All of this stuff is available right now at something to wrestle shirts.com. That's something to wrestle shirts.com still an OG, but a favorite of mine, the whiz awful his house. Go check it out. Bruce today's show was fun. Lots of requests for this one. Thanks for the time. And. I'd be lying if I said I was looking forward to your cold weather, but I am looking forward to seeing you soon. You should be looking forward to the cold weather too. And it'll be wet too. Wet, damp, and cold. That's like that's like Dave Silva's heart. Wet, yes. damp, and cold. Because yes, exactly. Well, we're gonna tell the story someday about how he stood you up. Again, One day. Again. He disappointed yeah. you again, which is a pattern. He's, with him. he's disappointed me the entire time I've known him. At every turn. Yes. You know what I think? I think we need to throw some eight by tens at him. We'll talk about that next week, right here on Bert. something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on! Happy birthday, Bruce. Thank you. Hey guys, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here, and I need to call a quick time, a brief time, because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley his pod listeners an all-new edition of the insiders is here as conrad sits down with former wwe exec john Filippelli, who discusses his transition from the world of sports to pro wrestling and his ultimate transition out of the company every take was getting worse than the one before it i said you gotta stop you gotta stop this you gotta calm down stop calm down stop yelling at people take it easy Tell him exactly what you want and we'll get through it. Which is, I have done a hundred times since and I would do a hundred times more. Yes. But that was Vince McMahon and you don't do that to Vince McMahon, particularly in front or around other people. people. Yeah. Was, that was my mistake. I mean, if you want to call it a mistake, although I would do it, I've done it since and I would do it again. Referee Nick Patrick is answering your questions every other Monday on our new mailbag series. We're hauling Nashers there. You know, doing great work so they could get beat headside following. But... They were cool. And a lot of people liked it, you know? Yeah, we're still in merch, you know? And, and, and Hogan had heat. He turned, he had actually more heat than them. You know, they had heat, but a lot of people liked it because they were cool. I was like the only real character that they was calling in the other time that everybody hated. You know, yeah, everybody wanted to see me get. <laughs> 
it worked. You know, they had, you know, yeah, and so it worked, you know. Tony and Conrad have taken their shenanigans in front of a live studio audience as they sat down live with Ad Free Shows members. Hey, um, did you ever uh, pet Jake's snake? No, never did. I had a chance to in Chicago, but it was was way too big and out of my league. Mm. What's the right size snake for you? Uh, one that just coils up and leaves me alone. Yeah. Have you ever orange to Cassidy before? Orange to Cassidy? Yeah. Or would that be with a with one of those juicers, the juice machine, or you just squeeze it until all the juice comes out of it. And rub that in your leg or his leg. You gotta, you, gotta be, you gotta be specific here with your dumbass questions here, Cassio. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.